Hi again, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome coming at you with a special edition of Inside Curling. We do a bunch of them. This week, we've got another one for you. We'd like to thank all our sponsors. Inside Curling is pleased to be supported by Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, and Nestle Boost. So here's what we're doing. Kevin, you sat down, which you have been doing several times over the last bunch of months, and did an interview with Brad Guju. By the way, not Gushu, Guju, all right? And it's Brad. Uh, you sat down with Brad Guju, Kev. Uh, we've had him on a couple of times on the show, and he probably didn't have much to say, Kev. He's not opinionated, not very outspoken. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Brad always has opinions, but you know what? Super smart guy, and uh, when he has an opinion, it's probably good to listen, actually. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas to you, Kev, and all our producers and everyone on the show. And in the house, our guest spot is brought to you by Goldline. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops, and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of Curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Brad had a bunch of interesting things to say. Sit back and enjoy this. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, thanks a lot for taking a few minutes here with us. Uh, quite a few things uh, to talk about. Obviously, uh, a team change. That's uh, the big one I wanted to talk about first, bringing on EJ Harnden. First of all, I guess, uh, how's it going so far with, with EJ? Yeah, I think EJ's fit in very well. You know, we've had an opportunity to play a couple times over the last few years in the All-Star Skins game and, and the Everest Challenge, which was a mixed event. Uh, and we got along really well, had fun off the ice, and, and obviously he's a great shooter on the ice. Uh, the challenges are, you know, he's got some different tendencies than, than our team that we've got to try and iron out over the first half of the season. I think we're probably looking, you know, as a realistic deadline, I guess, to get that clued up. But he's fun to be around and uh, a great guy. So we're looking at Breck Lott, who was with you for years and years and yeah. years. A really strong sweeper. But EJ Harnden. <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess I'd, I'd love to hear, I don't think a comparison, that's not fair, but just uh, what EJ brings to the team with what you need yeah. for success. You know, I, I, you know, I don't mind comparing because, uh, you know, they're two of the best seconds in the game. So you're not taking anything away. You just one has different skill sets than the other or, or not even skill sets, but one might excel in, in one area more than the other. And, uh, you know, I would say EJ's know much more for the, the bigger weights, those runbacks and, and the doubles and things like that. I think Brett's kind of had developed into a softer feel, hack weight, draw weight sort of player. And then even on the sweeping side, I think EJ is just pure power. And what I've seen in the first couple games that we played and first couple weekends is he can really hold a rock straight or make a curl, whereas Brett was just a phenomenal judge. And, you know, when that draw weight was coming down, he can place it right where you want it. So both of them have incredible capabilities. They're just a little bit different in which skill set they excel at. Can EJ, uh, this is going a little off topic, but can he, can he switch from one side to the other? Like uh, Brett used to go kind of behind the rock yeah, sort of and, and go to both sides. Dance around the mixed doubles move, yeah. yeah. Um, to be honest, I'm sure he can. We haven't practiced that because, you know, people forget about Jeff, unfortunately, and, and Jeff's an incredible player and a great sweeper too. So, you know, we're trying to stay away from that and, and uh, 
you know, keep EJ on the side that he's on because Jeff is fully capable and, and, you know, able to move rocks and, and, and certainly a great judge as well. So, you know, the, the tandem with Jeff and Brett was really good. It's going to take some time for EJ and, and Jeff to get to that level, but I'm sure over, over a period of time, they're going to get better and better as they communicate and trust each other more and more. Last year, I think can safely be said it was a crazy year for yeah. for you for well for you and and a lot of curlers but your team especially yeah. uh, playing in Olympic games and and worlds and in the Briar yeah. and and everything yeah. else and yeah. uh, so this year I guess I'd like to hear your schedule is it kind of a year to maybe take a breath like what's what's going on with well not not just you personally but but the whole team yeah I, I think we actually spoke over the summer and wanted to take it fairly light at least in the beginning of the season uh, just because last season was so crazy and and we were go 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 right from January up until the middle of May you know by the time you actually decompress and let it all settle settle in you know you're at the end of June and then all of a sudden curling season's just around the corner. So it came up on us really quick. So we didn't want to, like most teams, start beginning of September. We tried to push it back as late as we could. And then throughout the fall, we're not going to play that much. If it's Essentially, if it's not on TV, we're not going to play. <laughs> and uh, the reason for that is, you know, we're already in the Champions Cup. We're already in the Briar. So we know our season is going to go right to the, you know, first week in May, regardless. So there's no sense in us stretching it out at the beginning. And you know, we're an older team as well, and, and it's a four-year run. So we're, we're going to pace ourselves. With your yeah, your schedule and, and the last year or two years even, I want to go and maybe just to touch into your personal uh, sure. a little bit. And go, go with this as far as you want. With yeah. Krista and the girls, uh, Haley and Marissa, one or both are really going into curling in a big way. Yeah, I, I played mixed doubles with Haley. That's um, what I thought. I Mar- didn't want to. Yeah, Marissa's getting into curling and loves it just as much. So they're both into it. And, and uh, you know, this season, they're going to be probably, each of them, probably three days a week down at the So club. you're going to be able to work with them some? and not, uh, Because well, your schedule's a little less, maybe. Yeah, so. when I'm home, certainly I want to go down. And, and they enjoy coming down and throwing rocks with me. And I enjoy throwing rocks with them. You know, I get to practice and... and uh, and I also get to help them and, and, you know, have a little competition at the end where if, you know, they beat me in a draw of the button, they get a little treat. Those are fun moments for me. And it's kind of, I get the best of both worlds. I get to get my practice in. I get to spend time with my girls, which is, is something I love to do. And something that I know quite a bit about, and that's uh, when you're trying to curl at the highest level and then you have business uh, interests yeah. on the side. Um, Orange Theory, I think that is something that you've got your uh, yep. into in a big way. And and the development company with your dad, is that... Yeah. So, yeah. so Still, all of these the things, estate, all the, yeah. like all these stuff, Brad, like I, you and I are really close friends. Like I, I kind of have an idea, but you do a lot of stuff. Yeah. We kind of all know you on the ice, but, but the off the, the, the business, Brad Gushu. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on, uh, to be honest. And, and, um, I work more than full time when I don't curl, you know, I, there's, my phone is never off and, and my managers and, and my friends know that, you know, they're likely going to get texts or emails maybe at three or four o'clock in the morning. If I'm up, I'm probably going to go to work. You know, I do enjoy it and, and, but it is a challenge and, and it's hard to be really hands-on, especially when you're in kind of the meat of the season, like this time now where we're playing a couple of slams almost back to back with, you know, a few days in between. And then when we get into February, March, April, when it gets crazy, you know, I do have to rely on a lot of people. And, you know, with uh, the real estate stuff with my father, he takes on a much bigger role. Uh, and we've had to hire a company to help us with that. And, 
And then uh, on the Orange Theory side, I have some great managers that take on more than they should, to be quite honest. And, and you can't play at this level without support like that. And not just from them, but from my wife as well, who takes on you know way more than she should just in our personal lives with driving the kids to their activities and just you know, keeping the house in, in, in order, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on and, and, you know, I'm thankful for all the support that we do have. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I'm going to go down a little bit of a path here and just tell me to get lost if you don't want to talk about this, but where you're at with age and, and the stage in, in the career, I, I'd love to hear uh, uh, what's next for Brad Guju. Um, positioned how you are yeah. in Canada and especially in Newfoundland, politics, business interests, where where do you think uh, the path leads for you? To be honest, uh, I don't know. But what I will say is is there's a high likelihood over the next four years that's going to have to to develop. I think uh, being the age that I am and <laughs> some of the physical limitations that have developed over the last couple of years that I'm going to treat this like my last quadrennial. You know, I'm not committing and saying it's my last one, but I'm going to treat it like it. If I'm going to do that, you have to look beyond and what you're what you're going to do. So there's going to be some times over the next couple of years where I will explore what's next and what's the next chapter. But I also want to make sure I stay focused on curling and, and committed to the team. You just went back to school? Yeah. And yeah. completed, was it a master's degree? Yep, MBA at Queen's. Was there uh, any uh, thinking behind that? Uh, uh, th- there oh. was, certainly. I, I think the timing was absolutely perfect. You know, we were in a pandemic and when I signed up for that, I didn't know if the curling season was even going to happen. And I figured, you know, I can do this. I I got it through the game plan program, which is a program for Olympic athletes. You know, I just felt the timing was great and it would also set me up for something potentially down the road, whether the end of my career was this year or four years time or eight years time. So I just felt it was another tool I could put in the toolbox that's going to, you know, maybe pay some dividends down the road. One thing you and I have talked about over the last few years, and, and I think your team is likely the strongest, and that's from a business sense, a business of curling, not not yeah. Brad, yeah. not Brad Guju, um, yeah. a business of curling. I'd love to hear your recipe for the young teams. They're getting out and they're trying to make their way in the sport. They're getting good, but kind of get lost in the in the business side of it, in the agency stuff, in the PR stuff, in the social media stuff. Yeah, I guess I. I for the people uh, tuning in, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you organize your business side of the curling team. Yeah, there's there's a ton of factors that go into it now. Like you mentioned social media, which is, wasn't something anybody really did 10 years ago, but you have to manage that. You have to build your brand. Uh, I think as, as individuals too, I think it's important to get out and meet the fans and, and you know, get the support from them because, you know, if you go to an arena right now, they, we have some pretty loud cheers, but that's 20 years of, of making ourselves accessible to the people that come out and pay to, to support us. I think that's helped us a lot. And then you have to build the relationships with sponsors and net and your network because so how in, do you do in, that, Brad? Well, just get out and meet people, you know, take opportunities. If you go to a business mixer, you know, just go and meet people, shake their hand, see who they are, see who they work for, introduce yourself you know, develop those relationships. You know, I, I tell a story, uh, we had a really good sponsor, um, you know, this is going back 10 or 11 years ago, but it was something as simple as me sitting on a plane and turning to the guy next to me and saying, hi, I'm, I'm Brad Guju. What's your name? You know, and he told me his name, he turned out to be a VP of this company, you know, things accelerated two weeks later, we had a title sponsor. So you just got to be willing to put yourself out there and be willing to take no's. Cause even at our level, and I think we're right now at the top of the game, you know, we're probably getting turned down nine times out of 10, you know, so you, you got to take that and, and just keep chugging along and, and trying to catch those sponsors. So there's so many factors that go into it. 
I think what we've been better at the last couple of years is spreading it out because I took it all on 100% for a lot of years. And from the management side now, like Jeff does all the travel stuff, EJ handles all the accounting, Mark orders the pizza, you know, things like that. So uh, we all have our roles and, uh, and do our things. And, and I think that's helped taking some of the burden off me, which, you know, I took it all on for a long time. And, and, you know, you get a little bit bitter and a little bit run down when you do that. So I think this has helped once we started doing this a number of years ago, it's, it's made things easier. Let's uh, switch over to Olympic trials because yeah, there's nobody better, I don't think, in the game today than talk to than you. In your mind, you've got to think about this, I'm sure. The time that's best for the Olympic pre-trials. Yeah. And then the Olympic trials so that our Canadian athletes have the very best chance of getting on the podium at the Olympic Games. What's the formula in, in your mind? So I, I'll look at it two ways. I look at it one way where if we were in an ideal world and we didn't have anything else to consider other than making sure our athletes are prepared for the Olympics, I think you do it in April. Uh, I think that gives that team then the summer to prepare. They can come into the fall. They can schedule themselves the way that they want to be ready for the Olympics. And then on the flip side, it also provides all the other teams that didn't get a chance to maybe flip over to mixed doubles and spend that fall and work on that and train to maybe take a run at the mixed doubles. And then all of a sudden we have our top athletes competing in both disciplines. The issue with that is we got the Briar, we got the world championships. A venue in April is, is a real challenge in this country because of hockey and hockey playoffs. So, you know, you want to get into some of these bigger ranks and maybe NHL ranks with the, the trials. So how do you do that in April when potentially the playoffs are around the corner in the NHL? So well, I would have said Maple Leafs. Well, no, maybe, it goes to Tor- <laughs> maybe it goes to Toronto and, and you don't have to worry about it. Although they've been a good playoff. They've gotten to the playoffs easy in the last couple of years. It's just winning. So maybe schedule it during the second round. You know, so, so those are, are the two sides. Like I, I know there's a, the business side to it that has to be addressed. And that's the challenge with moving in April. I think probably the most realistic uh, solution is even just moving it up three weeks, you know, four weeks, just to give yourself a bit more of a breather before you go. And, and you've experienced it. I've experienced it. It's too much. And even three or four weeks would, would have a big impact. I don't think it goes far enough, but I think with everything else that going on and all the other factors, that's probably the best we can expect. And in the pre-trials, because that's really important too for the up-and-coming yeah, teams. Yeah, and I, I think the pre-trials can be looked to be played at the end of the season before. Then the teams don't know that they're playing in it. They got a couple months then to prepare for, uh, you know, if, if they get through the pre-trials to get ready for the trials. So I, I think that has to be in April. And that's not an event that has to run in a 10, 15,000 seat arena. You can run that in a much smaller venue where, you know, you're not competing against Canadian Hockey League or NHL teams for that venue space. Last question. And this is something that's brought up on Inside Curling all the time with the people that write in and, and email us. And that's now that we're into quite a few years of, of playing no tick yeah. um, at the slams and, and other events too are playing, are playing that. Um, yeah. Now your thoughts, cause it's got to be getting clearer and clearer in your mind as to, is this a good thing or not? Or like, where, where, where's it sit? I, I have no problem with it. Do I love it? No. Do I hate it? No. I'm kind of middle ground. I'd like to see it be a little bit more defined. What my pet peeve is that a lead just lobs it down there. And if they hit the center line, it can't be touched. They may miss the spot that they're trying to hit by six, eight, 10 feet. And they get rewarded for that. I, I find that a little bit more challenging. So I'd love to see little windows because if you're throwing these ticks, like you generally throw it, you're throwing a tight guard and a long guard uh, if you're trying to get it in a no tick zone. So let, maybe let's put a little window that the leads have to get it in. So if they 
get it in between those windows, you can tick it just to make it a little bit more precise because you know, as I do as skips, you know, if we got to draw the button and we miss by a couple inches, we look like, you know, a, a bunch it's a of zero. Chumps. It's yeah. a zero out of yeah, five. You're zero yeah. out of 10 and you're blamed for losing the game. But yet a lead can, can miss by six, eight feet and get it on the center line and it's, and it's good shot. So I, I think we need to make that a little bit more precise. I think that's going to reward the top leads in the game and the top teams in the game. And also, you know, punish those teams that aren't executing the way you should be. And at this level, you should be able to hit maybe a two foot window and be rewarded for that. That's a great point. Uh, who's your favorite hockey team? I brought I, up the Maple Leafs. I hope I, it isn't the Maple I, Leafs. I, I am, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> chir- I'll, I'll chirp them as much as anybody. You know, they've been an incredible uh, regular season team the last couple of years, but hopefully, you know, they, they can get past that first round. I think, of course, I'm a big Oiler fan. And then, but when I bring up the Maple Leafs, your eyes kind of, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, listen, I think, I think I hit Brad right on the, his team. For no, I'm, sakes. I'm, I'm good. I give him a hard time as much as anybody. And to be honest, I'm not a super big hockey fan. I, you know, I probably don't follow until the playoffs. So I get about a week or two of watching the lease in the first round and then my season's over. So, <laughs> Hey, thanks a lot for doing this, Brad. Really appreciate it. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks. Previously in Painting the Pitch Red, we've looked at the history of Canadian soccer. But in our season finale, we joined the Reds through their drama-filled World Cup campaign. I think we are, we're pinching ourselves. It's, um, it's just real now. It's getting more real by the hour. I can't watch a sporting event that big in an environment like that. Yeah, Roberto Martinez said after the game that Canada were the better team. I've never in my life felt that kind of energy in, in a stadium. It just gives me goosebumps in talking about it. And the headline says, you have the mouth, but do you have the balls? The John Herdman thing is what, one of the top five stories of the World Cup now? This is the biggest load of garbage I have ever read. Henry Standage joining us. Give us the reason to believe in this team this year. Join us at the end of our present day journey. Painting the Pitch Red, Chapter 4, Qatar's Canvas, out now. So there we go. Kevin, you and Brad sitting down once again. Uh, he's always got something to say. Kev, what, what do you think? Well, I like the discussion. I think a lot of curling fans would really like to know the, the differences between Brett Gallantin and, uh, and EJ. I think it was interesting how he said to her, uh, EJ's incredible power on the one side. <laughs> we've, we've watched Brad on air. He'll, he'll yell a little early to get on it. And EJ is so strong. He just pulls the rock so far and surprises Brad quite a bit. And then of course, Brad, no surprise, his incredible judgment of the stone. So it was interesting just to hear his comparison of the two uh, tremendous players that he's had at second over the last few years. Uh, depending where you're from, Brad Guzio would be the best curler in the world. Lots of people say that. Uh, Warren, what did you think the best curler in the world had to say? Well, I'm going to go in a little different direction. I found uh, quite interesting his discussions about, I think he referred to as the business of curling and all the things as a high-performance team that they've got to take care of and coordinate social media, building their brand, constantly networking, which is how they're going to get more sponsors, more hits on their social media. And it makes them very, very busy, Um, far busier than many people think all the things that they have to as teams take care of because in many cases... They have to do it themselves because they can't afford to have a third party involved. So 
Uh, I thought his comments about the trials of saying he'd like to see Olympic trials in the spring of the year would probably be ideal, but understanding that could have a lot of logistics attached to it, and thought even a compromise of moving the trials back three or four weeks in the fall to maybe early November would help them a lot. So I think that's kind of a consensus a lot of teams have. He thought it would be good if we could get the trials for men's and women out of the way quicker. So that would allow everybody then to participate in mixed doubles who weren't successful in the trials. So I thought there was good comments. I thought the tick rule comment was he doesn't love it, but he doesn't hate it. And uh, his idea of maybe there should be a target out there in the center line that the leads have to hit before that rock stays there. So that's what I took out of it. A lot of interesting things he had to say, as he always does. And Jimmy, he didn't back away from the, uh, if he's getting into politics question. He didn't absolutely say that he'd be getting into politics, but he didn't say, oh, come on, Kevin, That's right. I have no interest in that. He'd make a good, I think he'd make a good politician. Maybe the premier in, uh, in Newfoundland or something. I'm not, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Just saying? Just saying. I think Brad would make a good thing at anything he wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. And uh, let's not forget that he, he knocked off a degree while he was curling at a high level, right? He, he did his MBA at Queens. Okay, there we go. Good job, Kev. Another one in the books. Uh, we appreciate you doing that. And thank you very much to Brad. He has never said no to us about coming on. Uh, so that's great. Big thank you uh, to all our sponsors, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, and Nestle Boost for bringing you this special edition of Inside Curling. Just a reminder, send us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And check out our Facebook and our Facebook group and Facebook page, and you can weigh in on all sorts of stuff. It's active, that thing. Okay, boys, Merry Christmas. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, Kevin, and... Uh, Merry Christmas, Jim. Hey, Grinch. Okay, let's make this a good Christmas. Okay, don't be so grumpy, all right? Same to you, Jim. <laughs> See you, boys. <laughs>